The following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitanoia, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. And now, here's Dr. Dan. First Peter chapter 2. One of the things that I think Christians struggle with is we sometimes forget our identity in Christ. We forget that we are blood-bought children of, of God. We are uh, brothers of the King. He is our Savior. We, are, we have a special relationship with Him. We are chosen for a unique thing that we get to be a part of. The Apostle Peter writes this letter to a group of Christians. Most likely he's writing from Babylon or from Rome, which he cryptically refers to as Babylon. And he's writing to Jewish Christians who he calls the dispersion because they have been kicked out of their homeland and are now living in a new land. And there is persecution taking place. And they are perhaps tempted to set aside this calling to which they've been called, this relationship with Christ in pursuit of other things. The pressure that's been placed upon them uh, has made their relationship with God maybe not unimportant, but less important than it was before. And Peter writes in some ways to encourage them and strengthen them, but also he writes to remind them who they are in Christ and what privilege they have as a result of being a follower of Christ. He wrote this letter to encourage them to persevere during their suffering. He writes of their privileged position as the elect. He writes of their honored role in God's church. He writes to encourage them to grow in godliness and in the role to which God has called them as his new people. They have a new identity now, which makes them stand out in a dark world. The, the Apostle Paul dealt with the same thing. He says, you are like stars amongst a dark night. But rather than run from their identity, which makes them stand out, they are to run to it. They are to embrace it despite the objections of the world. In our passage this evening, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4-10, through 10, he reminds them of who they are in Christ, what exactly God has done by creating this church, this unique people of which they are a part and he's also, I think, inviting them to draw near to Christ and his church rather than run from him and each other during a time of persecution where gathering together might, bring might be the possibility of hardship. If you have your places, please stand, if you would, in honor of the reading of God's Word. I suppose if you don't have your places, go ahead and stand anyway. You can just listen. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, 
the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for today and the opportunity to, to just gather together as the family of God. I thank you for the ministry of music that we just received. We pray, Father, that you bless those girls and when they do realize that they're serving, let them continue to have joy in it. Father, for us, I pray that we would have joy in serving as well, serving you, each other, and those beyond the walls of this church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I have a question for you. You can shout out your answer, and I will do my best to repeat it so everyone can hear me. The question is a simple one. When did you come to believe in Christ Jesus? Anybody want to Give me an answer. Don't make raise your hand. What's that? At the age of 23. And um, how did that happen? <laughs> so it was an exorcism. No, I'm just Okay. How about what year was that? Seventy-eight, seventy-nine. Who else? Steve. Nineteen sixty-nine. K, you had your hand up. Nineteen seventy-six. 1976. Who else? Bob. You were right there beside you. Did you believe too? Or? Awesome. Mickey. 1972. Wait, i got to get more Legos. Do you know what I'm doing yet? I'm illustrating your passage. The kids saw me bringing these to the, down, the, down to church, and they started chasing me. Like, what are you doing with our toys? It's part of the show, folks. Chuck. 1950, 1950, I almost said 1950, sorry buddy. Sean, what about you? 1971, well I'm running out of my long pieces so I'll just start using these. 1971. What else? Anybody? Kenny, what did you do? Do you remember? Seven years old, I remember it. Yeah. 1989. David. 1995. Come on, Brad, help me out. When did you get saved? 1982. 83. 87. 
All right, here's what I'm doing. We'll just keep going. I want to fill. Anybody want to? Give me like five more. 1962, uh, 1983, 1955. All right. Can you guys see what I see this back there? By the way, what's that? 2020. All right. Austin. 2020. Carter was 2021. It was a few weeks ago, but we're kind of monitoring this situation. Make sure he understood. Nineteen sixty. Last one. Seventy-seven. Here's what I'm doing. So the passage had an interesting thing to say. It said that Jesus Christ is this cornerstone. And he said that we are like living stones. And every single one of us, once we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we were added on to him. And now what we are as the people of God is a temple. Sorry, it's a really ugly temple, but you get the point. And God's spirit dwells in us. When Carter got saved a couple weeks back, he was added to this. When you got saved, you're added to this. And tomorrow or tonight, if someone puts their trust in Jesus Christ, they too will be added to this temple in which God is dwelling. No, that's not literally it, but it's this metaphor. And I thought, like, what's the simplest way that I can think of to explain the metaphor? Lego blocks. I found the biggest Lego block, and that was the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the piece upon which all the other stones are built, and that cornerstone guides the rest of the temple's construction. You and I, the body of Christ, we are the place on which, in which the Spirit of God dwells. And so verse 4, let's take a look at what we do. First off, believers are to keep drawing near to Christ. Verse 4, as you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Now, the living stone is, of course, Jesus Christ, who was rejected by men. It was, this was evidenced by the fact that he was arrested and crucified at the hands of Jews and, and Roman uh, soldiers. And his acceptance by God was evidenced by his resurrection from the dead. By virtue of his resurrection, he is a living stone. Now, ever since then, of course, people have rejected Christ and some and people have believed in him. And every time someone believes in him, they're added to this temple in which God's spirit dwells. As the cornerstone, Jesus is the chief stone on which all others depend for proper alignment. Now, let's think through this thing in verse four. It begins by saying, as you come to him. I don't typically like to throw out a whole lot of Greek at you guys because it's just well, if I do, just tr- trust me, it probably matters. I'll just leave it say it that way. So the, the, the Greek text here is what's called a participle, which, which correctly translated as you come to him. It's describing a process, an ongoing action. And it speaks of not only our initial faith in Christ, but then our ongoing worship and, and prayer as we draw near to him. What happens as we draw near to him? Well, let's just throw the question out there. What happens as we draw near to Christ? What do, you, what do people experience when they draw near to Christ? After conversion. We'll just say after conversion. Change of heart, yeah? 
What's that? Freedom. Amen and amen. Whew. Ain't that the truth? Realize how much you don't know. Freedom. There's a transformation. There's also, from my experience, there's this unbelievable sense of privilege and this unbelievable sense of purpose when you realize that God saved you on purpose for a purpose. And it has to do with this massive plan of His to not only serve the, the temple, the people, the body of Christ, but also reach out to those beyond the body of Christ. But look at verse 5 and 6. As we draw near to Christ, believers are a spiritual house that is built on and for Christ. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ for it stands in Scripture. And he starts quoting some Old Testament verses here. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. All right, so the Greek word, again, second time I've had to use it. No, I already did that one. I'm sorry. I'm going to stay. I have, forgive me. The Greek word that is translating be, be, being built up is the passive voice, and it implies that God is the one doing the building. Now, God does the building by working through people but that's how he, he, he that's how it's describing the process now last week we talked a bit about the household of god and here peter's language reveals that he is talking about just that very thing he says a spiritual house and peter must most likely has in mind the house where god dwells the temple of god 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul writes this letter to Timothy and he's instructing this young pastor how to essentially develop this church in Ephesus. And he says, I'm writing this to you, in verse 15, so that you will know how to function in the household of God. That's Kit Noya's paraphrase, but that's, the, that's what he's saying. I'm writing this so you know how, the, how to organize, to operate, to function in the household of God. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, he says, you're the, you're the, don't you know that you're the temple of God and His Spirit dwells in you? He says similar words in 1 Corinthians 6.19. We are a holy priesthood. Not perfect, but set apart for God, having our sins cleansed, washed away, having received the Holy Spirit. And we are this so that we can offer spiritual sacrifices. And as I studied this out, this idea of spiritual sacrifices, it runs, it sounds quite similar to the idea of spiritual gifts. Let's talk about this. New Testament scholar and, and theologian Wayne Grudem writes this. He describes it best, I think, when he says, spiritual does not mean immaterial. At least... When he's talking about spiritual sacrifices, spiritual service. Spiritual does not mean immaterial, rather, but rather influenced or dominated by the Holy Spirit, sharing the character of the Holy Spirit. Christians are a new temple under the influence of the Holy Spirit. 
So this idea that it's not something like, you know, I, I use the balloon illustration and the balloon went off flying and, you know, that's kind of an illustration of the spirit. He wants to make sure we understand that spiritual does not mean immaterial. It's not something you can't, it doesn't necessarily just mean something you can't see, but rather something that's influenced or dominated by the Holy Spirit. I had an opportunity to think this. Through. I was like, what's an illustration I could come up with for this? I had one this afternoon, began at 3.30. That meeting... When you go to a lot of meetings, you can lose sight of the fact that that's spiritual service. Now, that meeting could also become fleshly service, but it wasn't that. We had men gathered around the table thinking about how best to serve Calvary Baptist Church to, to serve the body of Christ and reach beyond the body of Christ by maintaining the buildings and grounds. Now, that was a spiritual service. Why? Because we, we, we were doing something. It was under the influence and control of the Spirit for the service of the kingdom of God. That happens in business meetings at church. Are there other areas that you can think of where you might not automatically put two and two together and assume it's spiritual, but under this definition that spiritual does not mean immaterial, but rather influenced or dominated by the Holy Spirit, what are things that happen in the life of a church that might fit this description here? Any, any thoughts? That's where I was thinking. Nursery work. Serving. About three years ago, four years ago, I had the opportunity to preach on a mission trip, as I often do. And I actually, one of my old youth pastors, he was stunned. I wrote him a letter. I said, I'm a, I'm a pastor now, and I've done this and this. I've finished my, I finished my doctorate and all this. And he was just stunned. He asked for my, got, my, got a hold of my parents to get my phone number. And anyway, he came to hear me preach. I'm not sure he liked the sermon, but what I said in the sermon was this. When we are privileged to be able to serve in the kingdom of God. We don't always think about that, but the people driving down the street who don't know Jesus Christ have no part in this. We, and so the illustration I used was changing diapers, and the, those are the king's babies. That's spiritual service, and they're like, yeah, we're going to have a sign-up sheet for the nursery outside. That's what the, Whoever's running, is it Stephanie that runs the nursery? No, okay. Like, put this, put, now's the time to put the sign-up sheet out there. Now that we just said. Changing the diapers. A lot of the things, like we typically think of the preaching and the singing and all those things are absolutely spiritual ministry. But anytime something is done that's done because we love Jesus and, and we want to advance His kingdom and, and that involves serving the body and serving beyond the body, guess what? That's what He's talking about. That spiritual, that spiritual ministry. Now, in verse 6, he starts citing Old Testament passages. Why does he do that? Well, because in Jewish thought, and Peter was Jewish, an argument is validated when the Old Testament scriptures are brought to bear on the topic. So that's what he's doing here. Now, let's think for a moment about these living bricks. You can be a good brick. This is a quote of Tony Evans. You can be a good brick, you can, but you can't be the whole house. It takes all the bricks contributing together to build the one house. You need the church because without the others, you're just a brick. Now let's think a moment about these living bricks. Let's talk for a second. Are you a contributing brick? I like the way Chuck Swindoll says it because he has a way with words. How's your serve? 
When God calls you to a task, remember he is also calling others to work with you. On Wednesday night, I kind of mentioned briefly in passing uh, during our prayer meeting and uh, something I'm, I'm intending for us to do on November 14th. I'm calling it the Sunday serve or Sunday night serve. I don't know. But I'm not exactly a wordsmith on stuff like that. But the idea is at Calvary on Sunday night, at least for this Sunday, this Sunday only, probably not just this Sunday only, but uh, we're going to gather together and we're going to sort of get our assignments and directions and uh, for some of us, maybe perhaps visit some of our shut-ins and widows who can't get out. For some, you might want to take the, some communion cups with them, to, with, with you to them and take communion with them. You don't have to be an ordained minister to do that. It doesn't say that in the Bible. It doesn't say that in the Bible, by the way. Just making sure you know that. Those are, there will be various things that we're going to look to do. Why? Because as the people of God, we... When we do things like that, we bring glory to the King of Kings. And so uh, when we're looking at these passages, we're looking at this idea of the priesthood of the believers. And along with that, there's this idea that, yes, we don't have to approach God, but God through an intermediary. I don't have to go to a priest to get to God. You don't have to go to Pastor Dan or Pastor Rob or Pastor Kurt to get to God. You can go to him yourself, but it also means that you can serve others on God's behalf. I think sometimes when we talk about the priesthood of believers, that last part is sometimes left out a little bit. A priest is someone who, who represents God to the world and represents people to God. Well, guess what? You can go right to God as a believer in Jesus Christ, but you can also represent God to the world. And one of the ways we do that is by serving. Now, believers have an honored position, but unbelievers stumble over Christ into judgment look at verse 7 and 8 so the honor is for you who believe but for those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone think of that the very one that they rejected in god's plan however was that was the most important stone they thought it was trash and god said no 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 this is the most important stone and verse 8 a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word. That's another way of saying they don't believe it. They stumble because they, were, they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So what is the honor? The honor of being a part of the household of God, the place where God dwells, and being a part of the holy priesthood. It is ours because we are believers in Christ. These who were receiving this letter and reading it the first time, there was a great amount of temptation to sort of set this down for a while because the persecution was so intense. And you know, this honor is nice, but uh, I don't want it. And he's reminding them exactly what they have and who they are in Christ. And he says, those who reject Christ... They reject the honor that you have. They resist the grace offered to them in Christ. The Apostle Paul picks this up. If you can turn there quickly, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. The Apostle Paul speaks similarly of this same issue. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. 
because it seems to set before us a dividing line and has explanatory power as to why some believe and some refuse to believe. I hear pages turning. That's a happy noise, so I'll give you a second to get there. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitanoia, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. Thank you for listening.